Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasia and today I'm joined by adventure dive expert Walter Bernardus from African Water Sports, who will talk about diving the world's largest migration of fish, South Africa's annual sardine run. Walter is gearing up to lead the Oceans Without Borders Marine Migration Expedition, part of End Beyond's limited edition itineraries, launched to celebrate the company's 30-year anniversary. Walter, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us today to talk about the sardine run in general and about End Beyond's Oceans Without Borders sardine run small group journey in particular, which um, you will be hosting for us. Great. To start off with, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came into into the world of of diving and sort of marine ecology, and how you came to be hosting our sardine run itinerary with and beyond? A bit about my background: I'm a mechanical engineer and a high school teacher. I've been uh, teaching for the past thirty years, and um, the last ten years as a deputy principal at a technical high school. I started my scuba diving career sort of 1982. Mm-hmm. That's when uh, the whole interest in the underwater world really got me and was always interested in sharks. And the sardine run is one of those events that obviously attract a lot of predators and some of those predators are sharks. So I mm-hmm. naturally was very interested in that and basically pioneered the sardine run with a, a good friend of mine, Mark Addison. and. You know, we started that in in the late yes. 80s or early 90s and uh, have been doing it ever since. The and beyond small group sardine run experience, I was introduced to Kevin by a friend of mine, Peter Lamberti, mm-hmm. who has been on the sardine run quite a few times and have, has filmed some really epic stuff. And together they asked if I would host the and beyond group and uh, you know, I've always been interested in getting involved with and beyond. This is the first year that we're going to actually mm-hmm. be taking uh, you guys out there and showing you what we've got to offer there. Fantastic. I know our team is very much looking forward to it. Now, most of our listeners and actually anybody who's, who's really yeah. interested in diving or in the marine world will be quite familiar with the sardine run. But for those who are not quite clear on the concept or who haven't, who haven't heard about it before, can you just talk a little bit about what this marine phenomenon actually is and, and how it works? Starting in about February, March, the sardines start aggregating in the Gullis Banks. And towards the end of May, they start moving up the coastline. A lot of the movement coincides with the inshore colder current that happens on our coastline coming up our east coast. But, you know, I've, I've seen them uh, come up with, with the cold water. I've seen them come up with the warm water. And joining these sardines are a host of other bait fish. It's a smorgasbord of, of food moving up the coastline. You get different kinds of sardines. You've got mackerel. You've got surrey. You've got shad. You've got carantine. You've got a lot of different mm-hmm. stuff that's coming up the coastline and obviously that attracts a lot of predators. And it's one of the only places in the world where you can go and dive and, and watch natural predation like you do on on, on the Discovery mm-hmm. Channel. 
nobody actually knows why these sardines move or why these other bait fish move. There's a lot of theories out there, but none of them are actually proven. There are some theories that they're coming up here to spawn, yes. and the fish that are spawned up in the Natal waters will always mm-hmm. return to where they were spawned, very much like the salmon do up the rivers in Canada and those places. But we get sardine eggs down in Cape Town. We get sardine eggs up here. So, like I say, there are a lot of theories, but nobody really knows why. We're just thankful that they do, and they put on the show that uh, they do every year. Mm. So, you know, when you talk about sardines, it's kind of, I think it's a little bit hard for somebody to imagine. Just to put it in context, what are the kind of numbers of sardines that you're talking about? Sure. No, they, they must range in their millions. You know, from the air, they are clearly visible. It's like a black stain mm. of uh, oil sort of uh, in the water. And these can be kilometers long. So you can imagine how many sardines are in a shoal that's 500 meters wide, a kilometer long, and about uh, three to six meters deep. So it's millions and millions and yeah. millions. And that's just the, the one kind of sardine. Then you've got red eyes. You've got big eye eastern sardines and all the other bait fish that are moving with them at the same time. The actual sardine itself is not a big fish. It's only about six inches long and about mm-hmm. 20 millimeters wide. And they make up this huge mass of fish coming up the coastline. It's, it's really an extraordinary sight. So you've spoken a little bit about the sardines and the bait fish that, that actually make up the mass that's moving. What are some of the other marine species that are attracted by this movement, especially the predators? Well, the sardine run, because of the sheer numbers of the sardines and other bait fish, uh, it attracts a lot of predators. You can get the bride's whale, which will feed on the sardines. You've got dolphins, common dolphins, bottlenose dolphins, pan-Pacific uh, tropical dolphins. They range in their thousands. And, you know, as far as the eye can see, you'll just see dolphins charging. And all those predators are there because, you know, their food source is there. So mm-hmm. that's a good indication that you're in the right place at the right time. Along with that, you've got a lot of different sharks coming into the area, mainly at duskies, bronze whalers, bull sharks. You've got uh, regatoo sharks. You've got a, a lot of sharks that are actually coming into this area as well just to mm-hmm. feed on that smorgasbord that's moving down the coastline, and they just move yes. with the sardines. Birds, got a host of different birds, mm-hmm. mainly the Cape Gannet that feeds on the sardines. The sardine run also coincides with the longest migration in the world of the humpback whales. In a day, you could maybe see 10 or more humpback whales all swimming up the coastline on their way up to the Seychelles and those areas where they spend the winter months and then back down to the Antarctic, which is one of the longest migrations in the world. I've never Mm -hmm. seen them feeding on the sardines. doesn't mean it doesn't happen. So there are those that say they have seen it. My pilot says he's, he's seen the, the humpback whales in the sardine bait balls. Maybe mm-hmm. there is a snack on the way for them as well. <laughs> and, you know, in terms of, of the significance of the sardine run to the marine ecosystem along the coastline, is food really the main function or is there another sort of purpose that, that the sardine run fulfills or is it actually a little bit of a mystery? 
it's a, it's a, the whole sardine run, why they move, and um, everything behind the sardine run is is a mystery. But I know that it it does provide a huge source of food mm-hmm. for all the uh, even the pelagic fish that we have down there. We have sailfish, salmon, shoals of salmon. We've got bonito that that feed on them mm-hmm. as well. And then you've got the bigger predators, your sharks your dolphins, and the, the bride's whale. We also get the southern right whale. So you could see four different types or five different types of, of whales. You could see maybe five different types of sharks. You will see a host of different bird life from storm petrels, albatross, cape gannets, and a lot of different seagulls. There is a, a, a huge variety. That whole thing makes up the sardine run, and that's what attracts so many people, and they're so high on everyone's bucket list. You know, I've dived all over the world. I've, I've dived with great whites uh, out the cage. I've uh, I've dived with tiger sharks and all the sharks here on the Elowal Shoal. I've dived with Nile crocodiles in the Okavango, and nothing compares to the sardine run in terms yes. of the adrenaline rush you get and you know, sometimes you actually uh, you, you've mm. got to be careful what you wish for because uh, it just might happen, you know. And I've been in that situation with a sardine run on several occasions where you're looking in the water and what's going on there with a sheer number of predators involved makes you think, did you really want to get in the water? Luckily, I have every time and it's been extremely rewarding and the best time of my life, actually. Absolutely. I can only imagine. Like any sort of natural migration, obviously the sardine run varies from year to year in terms of the numbers of fish. And in some years, I'm sure you'll have much lower numbers and not so much of the movement happening. And in other years, it's much stronger. Can you speculate about what might be some of the reasons for this and whether there are any man-made threats that the sardines face while they're migrating? Is this marine resource being protected in any way or is anything being done to sort of look after it and foster it? So when the sardines actually uh, aggregated on on the Agullis banks, there was a movement up the west coast and a movement up the east coast. On the west coast, they had sardine uh, trawlers that went out and netted the actual sardines and they depleted that shoal to extinction. Whereas up the uh, east coast, there was no netting at, at that point. So when uh, they mm-hmm. saw that the West Coast shore was depleted, they turned their eyes now to the East Coast. And for a long time, nothing actually happened. And at Mossel Bay and Port Elizabeth, they got some trawlers in and they started netting the sardines. So now it's a, it's a full-on yeah. commercial operation, netting our sardines that come up the East Coast. And initially, they were transporting those sardines back to Namibia to have them processed. Mm-hmm. And, and they've now moved the whole factory, canning factory and the rest of it, to the Mossel Bay area where they process the mm-hmm. fish. It's sad in a way that most of the fish that is caught is turned into pellets, which is then sent to Canada and other places where they have these fish farms. And those fish are, are, are fed on those pellets. And they say to us, you know, you've got to eat our salmon because they are environmentally farm bred. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're yeah. depleting our sources, resources to feed those salmon and mm, that it's sustainable. So you can imagine 
each trawler net uh, that gets taken every night, which is tons and tons and tons of sardines, is one less big bait ball that comes up the coastline. And this mm-hmm. goes on every single day, except, I believe, on a full moon where they, for some reason, don't get any of the fish. They, they can't net them. They stay deep, or I'm not sure what the story is. Yes. To answer your question, that's what's depleting what's coming up the coastline and what's making it very difficult on in some years when the shoals aren't that big. For instance, last year during COVID, I'm not sure if it, there was an impact on the trawling as well. I'm sure there was initially. Mm-hmm. And the shoals that came up last year were phenomenal. We've never seen so many sardines. This year, again, everything seems to be mm-hmm. uh, indicating that it will be early. Like I said, mm-hmm. we've seen uh, shoals off Brazen Head last week. A lot of activity at East London, Morgan's Bay. Big cold front hitting us this weekend as well, mm-hmm. which spurs the movement of the sardines for some reason. After East Cold Front, there's a spurt of sardines coming up the coastline and the action that comes with it. Fingers crossed that it's another good year this year. Mm, hopefully so. We've spoken a little bit about the sardines themselves. Yeah. Are there any threats to the species that are attracted to them as a food source? For example, the shark nets that are used in large parts of KwaZulu-Natal. You know, how much effect do these have? Or are they removed during the sardine run? Or what steps are taken to actually prevent losses there? You know, what's happened over the years, they, they try to leave the shark nets in, which are basically gill nets during the sardine run. But the sheer mass of sharks and rays and dolphins and all the other species that they caught in these gill nets was such a, a huge volume that they couldn't cope with it. And they were forced to remove the nets so as not to cause a, mm-hmm. a, a, a huge outcry. Nobody cries about the sharks being caught, mm-hmm. but it's normally it, it's the dolphins and the whales and the rays that, that cause the outcry. Unfortunately, it, it should be just as big an outcry when a shark is caught there. So they, they do remove the nets. They have a big impact on, on our mm-hmm. you know daily life with, with the, the predators that they catch in the shark nets. Um, you know, on the Adelaide Shoal, which is a marine protected area, they don't have a big impact on, on the predators moving up with the sardines mm-hmm. because of the fact that they actually remove them during the months of June and July. Yeah, so it's actually a much lesser impact that time of year, whereas, you know, actually shark numbers, I think, are dwindling along our coastline in general throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We started the tiger shark diving business here in the early 90s and uh, we used to see numbers up to 15 tigers in one dive and today if you see one you're lucky Mm, i can imagine okay we've spoken a little bit about diving the sardine run itself and you know what makes it so spectacular you've spoken a little bit about so many species that you can see while you're diving can you sort of Talk in, in more detail about what marine and bird species can guests expect to see on a, when they go out on the water with you? Whale-wise, we can see humpback whales. You'll see uh, brooders or brides whale. You'll see pilot whales. You'll see southern right whales. It's quite a, a variety of whales. For, for those that love the, the, the whales, I mean, it's, it's an amazing sight on its own. As far as the, the sharks go, You've got a, a lot of uh, different kinds of sharks, although not all the sharks participate mm. in, in the feeding on the bait ball. 
You've got more the Duskies, the Blacktips, the Bronze Whalers, your Bull Sharks or Zambezi as we call them here, and your Raggies mm-hmm. that feed on, on the sardines. Your Great Whites, Tigers, Makos, Blue Sharks, that kind of thing you don't see on the bait boards for whatever reason. They, they hunt maybe bigger species of, of food, you know. On the bird side, you'll see a lot of different kinds of, of albatross. You'll see different kinds of storm petrels. You'll see the Cape Gannet, which mm-hmm. is the main kind of bird that hunts the actual sardine. And then you'll get your, your mm-hmm. pelagic fish that are following this food source as it comes up the coastline. You get huge shoals of salmon. You get sailfish. You get marlin. You get bonito. All feeding on those sardines. So it's a, quite a wide variety mm-hmm. on the sardine run. Mm. Those Cape Gannets are actually quite fascinating. I've seen the footage of them, you know, diving into the water to try and get some of the fish. Is that something that you actually can see when you're when you're underwater? Oh yes. When they hit the water, you don't actually hear the splash underwater. It feels like a, um, you're standing next to I don't know mm-hmm. if you've stood next to a, like an anti aircraft gun. You feel the shock going through your body. Like boom, boom, boom. You just feel this, these vibrations, and you can imagine it's like, uh-huh. you're just hoping you don't get one planted in your head. These guys are coming down at, I'm not sure what speed they're hitting the water, but just watching the various stages of their dive, top side is amazing. They fold their wings, they'll aim, and then they'll come down, they'll, they'll trim their wings in a bit more like a F-16, you know, and then finally at the very very last second, they'll mm-hmm. trim their wings right back and hit the water. Now, that initial dive can take them down to about 10 meters. But I've been at easily 20 meters and had that bird swim past mm-hmm. me. It actually like flies underwater, swim past me, chasing those sardines into the depths. You know, they are wow. amazing divers, amazing flyers, and an absolute pleasure mm-hmm. just to watch them on their own, never mind any of the other things that are going on around you. Mm. Yeah, that must be absolutely surreal to see. It is an amazing sight. In terms of how the timing and everything works, obviously the sardine run, it's a natural movement, so you can't control that. And also, it's not one steady movement of sardines all of the time. There are different shoals that come through one after another or sometimes with breaks in between. So getting the timing for an expedition like this must be really tricky. What are some of the steps that you take to follow the movements of the shoals and try and ensure that your guests have the best possible chance of seeing them and experiencing this? Yeah, that is a difficult one because you've only got that many slots Mm -hmm. in June and July. So we work in in, uh, seven-day slots. You've pretty much got to pick your slot and hope you don't get a dead period where there's nothing happening. It's seldom that that happens. Otherwise, the sardine run would have died a horrible death a long time ago. You can't have people coming here week after week and not getting a result and then coming back. Most of my business is return business. And it's not only Mm -hmm. the sardines that have this natural predation. You have the mackerel that that form big bait balls as well. You've got red eye that forms a bait ball. Mm -hmm. You've got all the other bait fish that the predators are hunting as well. They hunt them in a different fashion. From the top side, 
you can see the way the, the birds are behaving, the way the dolphins are behaving, and you can guess what the type of prey they, they're feeding on. You know, is it yeah. mackerel? Is it, is it suri? Is it red eye? In that way, you know, we can get our clients to get in the water with those bait balls as well and are just as satisfying as, as watching the sardine bait ball. But when it comes to being specific about the, you know, time that you're there, and that's, that is extremely difficult. We just try and maximize our chances mm -hmm. by having a spotter plane. We've got a micro light with a very experienced pilot that can spot a pin at a thousand meters. I, I reckon his eyes are yeah. unbelievable. And a very experienced crew on the boat that knows what they're looking for. And the combination mm -hmm. of the two hedges our bets to get the best result. Otherwise, if there's no sardines, there's no sardines. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. Of course. Yeah. It's the natural world. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to talk a little bit about a typical day for a guest on one of the sardine run trips, because I do imagine that, especially the part of, of being out on the water, it's quite a bit different from your average sort of dive trip and probably quite a lot less structured. All right. So the typical day would start with breakfast at six o'clock, down to your rooms at 6.30, get into your wetsuits, collect your camera gear and head down to the beach, which is a short walk, and get ready to go out on the boat. Before you go on the boat, the, the skipper will give you a detailed briefing about the launch because they surf launches and they, they can be quite exciting on their own. And then the dive master will also give you a briefing on the various types of diving that you will be doing, whether you're jumping in with whales or dolphins or jumping in on a, on a bait ball and the various kinds of, of bait balls that we're going to encounter and mm -hmm. how we're going to approach those. Mm -hmm. So you'll get a detailed briefing on, on the first day about all that and then uh, just a quick brush of the different points or if somebody's doing something uh, they shouldn't be doing, we'll tell them mm -hmm. in a nice way what they should be doing and why they should be doing it. That's usually for their own life preservation. Mm -hmm. Then it's out to sea. We're in contact with the microlight. The microlight will tell us where, where the best action is at the moment, whether it's whales, whether it's dolphins, whether it's uh, birds in a bait ball. Because normally the, the Cape Gannets are the one that mm. give the bait ball away. Not always, but nine times out of ten. Then we'll, we'll head out. Our boats have got 200 liters of fuel, so they've got quite a, a big range mm -hmm. that they can cover. We spend about five hours of the day chasing whales, dolphins, sardines, and whatever else might occur. And the typical bait ball is get a message on the radio saying that there's a bait ball at a certain location. We, we use codes as well because a lot of people have got scanners. They don't have microlights, and they're listening desperately to a microlight to hear where we're going, what we're doing. And we head in that direction. Then we'll see the birds. That's the first sign you'll see. And it's like a, it's almost like a tornado that's inverted. You know, a tornado sucks up. There's a tornado that sucks down, and it's just birds raining out the mm. sky. I mean, thousands of birds. And they're all hitting one spot, and it's like a, a bullseye, but a, but a white bullseye from the water being atomized as that bird, as that bird hits the water. And then they'll go down, they'll feed on the sardines, and then they'll come up away from that bullseye, obviously if yes. they come straight back up there, they're going to 
Mm. They're going to get hit by the next bird coming down and then come up away from the bull's eye and circulate back up in the air and then repeat the whole process till they can't fly anymore. They get so heavy with sardines that they actually cannot take off. They've got to sit there and digest a lot. We arrive, assess the situation, get everybody kitted up, jump in the water, and go down and just watch the spectacle unfold like a being a predator, except that you're a passive sort of predator and you're just watching what's going on. You know, the dolphins, they coordinate their whole attack and you can see by the action of the sardines that the next attack is coming. Then you'll hear the squeak of the dolphins and this come shooting through the sardines. And next thing, you'll see this dark thing materialize next to you. It looks like a submarine and this opens its mouth and half the shoulder of the sardines are gone. And the shark's getting involved. <laughs> There can be massive sharks. Those duskies really grow big and are are quite intimidating to see underwater. But they're not interested in us. They're just interested in the sardines, you know. Very important, when you're diving with apex predators, you don't want to look like food, number one, and you don't want to act like food, number two. So our, our equipment must be as plain as possible. No whites, silvers, flashy colors. I see people arrive with, with silver fins, and now those sharks are eating silver fish. And I ask them, well, what do you think is going to happen? You know? Makes no sense. Uh, normally, like a five-millimeter wetsuit with a hoodie is good enough because the average water temperature is 21 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. But a good beanie and a splash-proof jacket to keep the wind off you while you're traveling on the boat is essential to, to keep you comfortable when the going gets rough. You know, mm-hmm. we spend five hours. Most people would say after five, okay, we've had enough. They, yeah. we, we have a nice uh, lunchbox on the boat with sandwiches, water, juice, and this and that. And then we go back to the lodge. Everybody goes and showers. And we then maybe do an excursion mm-hmm. to the waterfalls. We have a, a lot of waterfalls in that area because of the, the seismic uh, characteristics of that area. So you've got massive gorges. Absolutely beautiful to go and see these gorges, visit the different waterfalls, maybe go on a on a horse ride or a mm. trail walk in the forest and, and have one of the guides point out different plants. Or you may just want to, it's been a long day at sea, just have a rest. At six o'clock, we convene at the, at the bar, chat about the day, how it's gone, mm. uh, have a few drinks, and then supper is normally at seven o'clock have supper and those that want to have a few more drinks can have a few more drinks and those that want to retire can retire you know, normally. and get ready to do it all again the next day yes <laughs> absolutely in terms of the dives themselves you know obviously it depends on the group and 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 their appetite but more or less how many dives per day can can you expect to do and you know what would be the average dive Depth? Would it be some something that somebody with an open water qualification can do? Would you rather have divers with an advanced qualification? What are those kinds of details? You know, open water diver with a good number of dives under his belt uh, is, is sufficient. You're diving to about 10 to 15 mm-hmm. meters maximum. Most of our diving is at, at around 10 meters. The only proviso with the divers are they, they must want to see mm-hmm. sharks. They must want to experience that side of the diving because a lot of people think they're going to come here and look at silverfish well and maybe just dolphins no there's a lot of sharks involved as well we don't want people panicking underwater because that 
obviously is not good for anybody. Everybody is is a little bit on edge, a little yeah. bit scared. Anybody that tells me they're not scared when they jump in the wood in those situations is either a liar or mad. <laughs> I'm even scared when I jump in, and I've jumped in plenty of times. So fear is good, panic is bad. The level of diving yes. is uh, open water one. It's very easy diving. All you're going to do is be able to maintain your buoyancy at 10 meters, and that's the only skill you really need. When we're diving on the whales and dolphins, it's all mask and snorkel. So that's all on the surface, maybe diving down a few meters, and that's it. Some of the bait balls that are highly mm-hmm. mobile, like when the predators are chasing yeah. suri or red eyes, and they can't stabilize it in the bait ball, we jump in the water with mask and snorkel there as well, because it's in and out, in and out. Some bait balls can last a minute. Some bait balls can last the whole day. So when the dive master goes in, he goes in first and he assesses what kind of bait ball it is. If it's a small bait ball, I would say the size, you can have bait balls the size of a house and you can have bait balls the size of a wheelbarrow. When you've got the smaller bait balls, you you don't want to throw everybody in the water at the same time because you impact on the predators. As soon as you stop the predators, then the sardines disappear. In that Mm -hmm. case, we would work on on a rotation basis, maybe three people in for 15 minutes. And then those three people Mm -hmm. move back and the next three people go in and rotate like that. And we found a lot of success in doing that. Uh, On our boats, because we're spending so long out at sea, five hours plus, our boats can take 12 people, but we limit them to minimum six, maximum eight. So everybody's got a lot of space and it's not like like a bunch of sardines on the boat as well. And in terms of visibility, obviously there's a lot going on underwater. Does that affect the visit all or or is it generally quite easy to see what's going on? That's a difficult one and it depends if it's a wet year or a dry year. If it's a dry year, then the rivers aren't running and the visibility is generally better. Mm-hmm. If it's been a wet year and there's a lot of rainfall and rivers mm-hmm. are flowing, then the visibility is impacted quite a bit inshore. So. It varies from year to year, but in general, I would say the average visibility would be about 8 to 10 meters average and can be very good, 15, 20 meters plus, and and can be much worse, you know, 1 to 2 meters visibility. We've had bait balls in water that's like zero visibility, and obviously you can't get in the water in those conditions. You've got to just sit on the boat and watch it, and it's... uh, it's soul-destroying yeah. sitting there watching the scene. You can't get it. And we've had bait balls in, in 15 to 20 meter visibility where you're watching the whole show go down in yeah. like Caribbean conditions, which is like fantastic. Wow. Yeah, but that's obviously very much a luck of the draw. And it's something that you would actually assess when you're there on the day. Absolutely. If it's not safe, then we, we won't go. Okay. Well, we've spoken a little bit about the dive equipment and you said you're really just a a five mil wetsuit and talked a little bit about the colors. In terms of photographic equipment, now I know you're going to have an underwater photographer there for for the and beyond expeditions, but if anybody wants to get their own footage, is there any specific camera equipment that you'd recommend that they bring? Look, the easiest camera to operate for the best results is a GoPro. You know, the latest GoPros are phenomenal. They're yeah. small, they're compact. They, you can put mm-hmm. them on a, on a stick and have the camera away from you because 
cameras attract sharks. I don't know what it is about the, the electronic signal that, that the camera gives off, especially okay. the bigger cameras with strobes yeah. and things. When those things load, the signal that gives must be very close to the, the signal their, their food source gives off because they're immediately attracted to it. If you can have a, a, a plain colored stick, not, mm. not white, not silver, plain black on your GoPro, and uh, your housings as well, if you can get away from silver. I know that a lot of mm, these mm. expensive housings are silver, but nothing you can do about that. So we've got a lot of photographers that come out here and use a sardine run to try and get their award-winning photographs. And every year, the photo that wins the photo of the year comes from the sardine run somewhere. So it's, it's a great photographic opportunity. For the guy that just wants his own memories about the shoal and and the the whole thing, a GoPro is the way to go, I believe. It's nice, it's compact, it gives you a very yeah. good quality picture, very easy to handle, doesn't take yeah. up any space on the boat. And if it's on a stick, it's well away from you. So if a shark does bump it or bite it or whatever, it's like a meter away from you. It doesn't really matter because that shark, when mm. it bites it, it realizes straight away it's not food and lets it go. But you don't want to be holding it in your hand when you do that. <laughs> no, definitely not. I'm sure you also get yeah. your fair share of photographers who go down and the first time they see the shoals, they get so excited that they actually either forget to or don't switch on their cameras properly or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had actually both scenarios where you've got a guy that has left the memory card off yeah. or hasn't put the battery in or left a cover in, in the front of the camera. And you get those that are so into their photography that they take a mm -hmm. picture and then they look at the picture and they study this picture <laughs> because they want to correct this or correct that or get, and they miss the next hundred pictures. I've seen the picture of the year go past these guys while they're mm -hmm. studying their, their camera. So <laughs> it's really an exciting thing. Everybody gets excited. Some people jump mm -hmm. in and sometimes they forget their weight belt. Sometimes they forget their fins. The mm -hmm. cameraman forget the lens cap yeah. on. So it, it happens, you know, but got plenty of opportunity to get back on the boat, sort it out and jump back in yeah. again. And it is about being present in the moment and just experiencing it as well. Absolutely. The best camera is your eye, you know, and uh, the memories that you get from that. But it's nice to have something on your hard drive as well. In terms of special requests, you know, things like nitrox or rebreather or any special diving specifications, can you cater for those as well? A rebreather would be very nice, but it would require everybody else to be on a rebreather. So if the whole group's on a rebreather, mm -hmm. then that's yeah. fine. It's, it's Pointless having can. one guy on the rebreather and the rest on open circuit no, absolutely. because uh, you're doing away with the advantages you've got from the rebreather. Nitrox, you're diving at 10 meters mm. to 15 meters, so it's not really necessary. Also, the place we go to is extremely rural, Boiki yeah. River Lodge, and hard for those facilities to get there. So when you get the mm. when you weigh up the the pros and cons, we've just gone with straight air and cylinders, yeah. and that's the easiest way to go. Easiest and most efficient. Yeah. Okay. Walter, just to end off with, do you have a favorite experience or a favorite moment that you've lived through on a sardine run that you want to talk about? <laughs> no, the one year we were down there in early June, and the guy that works with me, Timothy, 
he was the skipper that comes out with me and controls the boat while I'm diving, a Zulu gentleman, so came to me and said, have a look out there. And I looked out. My eyes aren't that good, but I, I could see there's a lot of birds and there's a massive bait ball happening there. And we had mm-hmm. two German photographers mm-hmm. that were doing a movie. I think the movie was called The Cape of Storms and involved the sardine run as well. So they were following the life cycle of a, of a Cape Gannet and part of it is feeding on the sardines. The one guy decided, no, he, he wants just bird action from the air. So he went in the micro light. And the topside cameraman joined me on scuba. Well, we arrived out there and the pilot says, it's looking like a wagon wheel. It is predators, birds, whales, sharks, you name it, heading into this epicenter, just getting sucked in like a wagon wheel from everywhere, every direction. You mm-hmm. just got this massive influx of, of predators. Well, I jumped in the water. We went down and I thought, this is quite dark. You know, and there's still sardines in front of me. I looked at my computer. We were at 20 meters and we hadn't got to the bottom of the bait ball yet. So that's the size of that bait. The bait ball was absolutely massive. We did our dives and mm-hmm. got the birds diving on the, on because you wanted the birds, you know, hitting the water and, and swimming and grabbing the sardines. They wanted that. We got all that. We went back in. We got another two cylinders and we, we picked up the main photographer that was in the microlight and went back out. When we got mm-hmm. back out, the sheer mass wow. of predators, the sardines on the surface looked like they were in a frying pan. You know? it was just, they were just shaking like, you know, sharks, dolphins, birds. I, I think I could have run across 10 meters and been mm-hmm. able to make it. And this cameraman, the underwater guy, picks up the land camera. So I said, what are you doing? He says to me in his German action, Walter, we have the limit. Then we have the limit. But is this not beyond the limit? <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's an experienced cameraman uh, saying that, yeah. look, it's not such a good idea getting in the water. Yet. I'm not going in. And uh, at that point, uh, Peter Lamberti arrived there as well. And we dived another two hours on that bait wall. That was sharks the size. If you can imagine a shark with a, a girth of about a meter plus, and then another pectoral that's a meter long on that side mm-hmm. and another meter long pectoral on this side coming past you. They're like aeroplanes, you know, just pushing you out the, out the way to get into the sardines. Mm-hmm. Like this, this ballet underwater was mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal. There were bottlenose dolphins and the different way that the bottlenose dolphins were feeding on the sardines compared to the common dolphins. The common dolphins do a joint assault. They'll get together and then they'll, they'll squeak and they'll come through like uh, three or four at a time and hammer the sardine. The bottom mm-hmm. of those dolphin more, he's sitting on the side of the bait ball like us and he's watching the sardines yeah. going past. You see his head moving. And when an injured one comes by, he just like grab. Mm-hmm. And they would feed and pose in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, like the dolphin, like that S shape, they, they, they like got that S shape and they're like looking at you. <laughs> And right in front of you, posing for you all the time. You know, it was like phenomenal. Everything, everything that we wanted yes. happened on that bait ball. And it went on mm-hmm. from 7 o'clock in the morning until we said, okay, 
we can't anymore. And we went home at about two or three o'clock. And that, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had on the sailing run. I've had others where we've had bridesmaids mm-hmm. coming through from, from the other side of the bait wall. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't come through from this side that we were on. They were coming through from the opposite side. And you never knew when this thing would come through. And next thing, this huge mouth comes past you. And I mean, nine, I've seen like nine lunch strikes coming through the, the, that particular bait wall. So uh, there's so many experiences that I've had seeing sailfish, marlin, sunfish, mola mola. Now, the experiences have been many, and, and, but, but that bait wall was one that really has always stuck in my mind. It's my first very big one and, and so full of action that, that it's like burned into my memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds amazing. And if the sardine run hadn't already been on my bucket list, well, that description would have definitely got it there. Fantastic. Walter, thank you so much. It's been really interesting talking to you and I'm sure it's given any of our listeners a really fantastic insight into this experience. I think all that remains is for me to wish you good shoals and calm seas over the next couple of weeks. And thank you again. Yes, yeah, thanks so much. It was a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about and beyond, please log on to our website at and beyond.com.